Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, February 1st. This is podcast number two of this week. Had Billy Davis early in the week at TigerIllustrated.com. The recruiting world continues to turn and turns in a positive, favorable direction for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Paul Strelo has been on top of it in every way so far. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at Solero. Solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, no introduction needed for this one. Mike Noonan. Okay, joined by Mike Noonan, who is what are you you busy planning the parade route? You getting stuff to throw out to fans? Like what 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 what's uh what's up with as, as what the preparations uh, for that? The, the parade, the, the parade route, I think has been set uh, by by others than me, but I'm looking forward to participating in it for sure. Um, and uh, I know the guys are excited, but uh, yeah, today we're we're back at it, working on uh, training for tomorrow with the guys. The guys got the day off, but uh, for the most part, business as usual. One of the things that I hate about talking to a head coach a distinguished head coach such as yourself who coaches a sport that I do not cover on a regular basis is I don't, I do not have institutional knowledge of, of that topic or of the calendar, uh, your typical calendar. So I'm just, just out of curiosity, you win it all December 11th in the two and a half months or two or one and a half months since, well, almost two months. What, what is your, what's the calendar? uh for for you yeah well uh more than anything i had to get a christmas tree because i didn't have any of that done <laughs> and, and, and start buying christmas presents and just taking a little time uh with the family over the holidays uh it's uh but it, it, it was a little stressful too because our window was open our transfer portal window was open uh the mls draft was going on at that point players leaving players staying um 
you know, they were actually went right into formulation of our roster moving forward. Uh, and that was, that was during the, during the holidays, um, into up until the 8th of January when, uh, when the guys reported back and then, uh, we have, uh, begun our eight hour period of, of training and conditioning, uh, which will last until the middle of February and then we'll go back into 20 hours. So, um, you know, sprinkled in there are, uh, you know, recruiting, uh, travel. We had an official visit this weekend from, uh, a really talented player. So excited the way that went, uh, and then try and just get caught up on things that aren't as myopic as our own team here in the athletic department. And that's, uh, that's pretty much what it's been. When you win it all, for the second time in three years, the people watching on TV, you know, the, the, the broadcast ends five minutes, ten minutes after it's over. But for you and everyone within the program, the party's just starting. Uh, the fun really begins. What are the snapshots that you can share uh, that you'll hold closest to you and remember forever in the aftermath of that, not just in the locker room, but later on that night into the wee hours of the morning, into the next day, the trip back, uh, give us a window into that if you don't mind. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately it's going to be disappointing because we, uh, we, we won and there was a great group of Clemson United fans there, the president, uh, athletic director. I mean, it was just just great support and on the field, the celebration is really what I'll remember most. Um, it, it was just, and, and the number one thing was having my two daughters and my wife there and, and my sister there. Uh, so that was, uh, that was really, really emotional and, in in great. We had, uh, we lost my mom a couple of weeks prior to that. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, it was just good to have a family. Um, the rest of it was just, you know, it was a blur because you have to do the press conference. The guys are celebrating in the locker room, but we're getting on a charter, uh, an hour and a half after the final whistle to fly back, uh, to Clemson because the guys have exams and our guys had, our guys had eight o'clock exams on Tuesday morning after the Monday night final. Wow. Wow. They're really, and that. And then once they did their exams, they were gone for break. So really this parade coming up this weekend is our chance to celebrate together. Um, and, and it's really, uh, hopefully there are going to be a lot of people out there, uh, celebrating with us, but the, uh, the on-field stuff was fantastic. The, uh, I would have to say that the Clemson United fans were vocal and, they had made sure that they were going to have a good time in Louisville, Kentucky. And there was probably a little bourbon involved with that as well. (laughs) When did you, this is probably a cliche of a question, but when did you during the season, maybe even before the season, did you think this team is capable of, of winning it all? And we're probably going to get into early in the season when, you didn't start off so well and probably some negativity out there that you don't like. And heck, you, you might've believed the whole time. Um, so can we maybe explore that uh, as to sort of when, when you thought, Hey, this team can be on top is capable of being on top at the end. Yeah. 
I don't want this to sound the way it might, Larry, but I thought that we could win it uh, at the beginning of the season every year for the past five or six years Mm -hmm. that we're capable. And that's what Clemson soccer is about. It's about, you know, pursuing excellence and championships and, and, and one form or the other, whether it's an ACC championship, a divisional championship or a national championship, that's what we're built for. Um, this team was different than the 21 team. And the, the fact that we had 16, 14 new players, uh, that had come onto the roster. Uh, but as we put things together in August, I knew we had the potential, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. It, it, we were a long, long way away. Uh, we had, we had really good talent, uh, but in any game, and I think in particular soccer, because of the nature of the game and it being a player-directed game, not necessarily a coach-directed game, uh, once the whistle blows, chemistry is is the number one thing. Uh, and to develop chemistry uh, amongst a, a group of players, 14 of which are brand new to each other, um, I give my staff a great deal of credit because it, that that was what eventually came together but it it took a while uh for sure and there were times when there was some some doubt and and uh maybe not sure where we were going uh so it was uh it was very 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 gratifying when we won it i think you've said to me early in the season when you suffer some losses there's this Hey, what's wrong? And and you're you didn't you don't really like that because you're actually if you look at the competition you guys are playing, it was pretty strong. I'm curious. I mean, I know that when the football team are out, is struggling, when the basketball team is struggling, I know what that criticism looks like and sounds like where it is right. So when the soccer program is getting some of those questions, where's that coming from, and what is it? look like and sound like just out of curiosity um it can come from any corner uh and but mostly it's it's uh you know people who expect success out of clemson athletics that's where it it normally does uh and and it's just you know you hear it in a corner here a corner there i guess soccer's not gonna be that good this year you know those types of comments Mm -hmm. and you know we're two games into the season and we've lost and tied uh, and you know, it, it's again, the expectations that people have externally on our programs, uh, are really high. And, um, sometimes it takes time and patience, uh, for things to come together and particularly in championship performance, no matter what the sport. And so, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't really bother us because internally, you know, we, felt pretty confident in what we were doing and, you know, disappointed, of course, but we were learning and, and we took that time at the beginning of the season. And it was kind of a mantra for the season that, that we were going to grow and learn with every single game. And more than any team, I think I've ever coached in 35 years, this team did just that. Um, so, you know, what's being said on the outside and, you know, I, you do hear it when, you know, basketball won a game last night and all of a sudden they didn't play well. They didn't beat them by 20. I mean, it's, it's the nature of, of what we do. And uh, sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt and, and move on. 
you said earlier, and you said to me before, once the whistle blows and the game starts, it's up to them. And I don't really, you said you don't have anything to do with it. I don't really believe that, but what, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's a uh, <clears throat> preparation is the key to our success and the key to I think any uh, athletic or, or high performing uh, team and in soccer, because there are no timeouts and we play 45 straight minutes, all the decisions once the game starts are made by the players, uh, not by the coaches. There's not timeouts uh, in basketball. You know, in baseball, you see the manager signal to the catcher what the pitch is going to be. Um, you know, they're all coach-directed, right? In football, it's it's very coach-directed. Um, but in soccer, you, you the players have to make all those decisions for themselves. So it's a factor of your preparation and training the days before and leading up to the game. And again, I give my my staff an incredible amount of credit because they're doing all of that research on you know scouting, watching film of our team, trying to get better, and 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 designing what we have to do Monday to Friday so we can be successful on Saturday. And I think that more than anything else, we want Saturday to be the easiest day of the week when we actually compete or Tuesday. Um, but sometimes the games come thick and fast, right? There's there you're playing. Tuesday, Friday, sometimes Sunday, uh, again on Friday. So it's it's generally two, two and a half games a week because the season's so short and uh, that can get consuming for sure. In addition to the final exams, you had distractions in the form of the draft and things you, you already mentioned at the top of this. How much of a challenge was it for this team to stay in the moment, even on the big stages, I guess something that comes to mind is maybe when you go up on Notre Dame, um, how does it make it more of a challenge when there's so much coming up to really truly stay in the moment and to, and to maintain the edge that you had that got you to that point? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Larry. And, and it really um, asks and talks to the, the uh, the soul of this team and that they were able to stay in the moment uh, and what we called it the precious present right and to enjoy every match I can remember I was on the uh, I was interviewed on the uh, on the Tiger Tailgate show just before the uh, the bowl game this year and I think it was Dasha asked me she said she said. So, coach, uh, yeah, you, you you lost at Wake Forest, and then you didn't lose the rest of the season for fourteen games. And I said, "Really?" She goes, "Yeah." I said, "I had no idea because wow. we were taking one we were taking one game at a time. I didn't know how many we had won in a row. I didn't know it was just that next game. And I think player led leadership and setting goals, which they did." Um, we sat down, they sat down and had a player only meeting after, uh, we tied North Carolina state at the last regular season game. And if we had won that game, um, we would have been divisional champions. And that was a huge disappointment and inflection point in the season, but they sat down for a a long, long time and there were emotions and that was that's what everybody has now said to me was the turning point in the, in the last p- 
piece of the puzzle. And everybody gave up themselves for what their what their goals were, which was to win the ACC championship and the national championship, and they did it. You said that uh, that Clemson changed Usman Silla's life. I think you said that on the TV broadcast. Um, can you elaborate? Yeah. I mean, he, here's a young man who grew up in, you know, the car Senegal, who, you know, whose dad was a uh, fledgling soccer player turned fisherman. And Silla was discovered and brought over here to Mount Verde Academy. And he actually, if it, if COVID didn't hit, he actually would have been ineligible to play college soccer mm-hmm. um, because of the academic pieces that were missing. Fortunately, uh, you know, you don't want to say fortunately COVID hit, but fortunately, the NCAA relaxed some of those standards and rules, and we got him into we got him into Clemson, and the kid, you know, grabbed it with both hands uh he was i mean I, i'm so proud of him because he's he's all acc academic academic during his career four-time all acc first team player um and then he's taking 18 credits in the fall 18 credits in the fall to finish his degree by december so he can and that was the goal get my degree get my degree get my degree he, he wanted desperately to be a professional soccer player, but he wanted the degree. So during the whole thing, he's taken 18 credits and he finished with a 4.0 GPA. Mm. And MVP of the ACC tournament, MVP of the national tournament, high, uh, high, Herman Trophy Award winner. Uh, and, and now, you know, he can look back on all the success and understand all the things that he set out to do um, he was able to accomplish because of who he was, and, and you know, it, it's just an incredible story, an incredible example. And Clemson provided, and Clemson soccer provided the framework for him to do that. And he's forever grateful. Um, and he is now a legend in uh, in Clemson athletics. There are so few humans out there who know what it's like to win a national one national championship and what you know how you maintain the edge that got you there the desire the chip on the shoulder whatever you want to call it Dabo of course is in that category you of course I mean Nick Saban and Mike Krzyzewski I mean those are to me at least the most impressive parts of those two icons achievements was that was how they were able to reproduce the, that edge and the motivation and that attention to detail in the face of, you know, you are everybody's biggest game and yet you still achieve. It's harder. Um, Looking back to having won it, the, the first one, can you maybe share what sort of lessons, I don't know if that's the word, but just the wisdom that you have from going through that experience and now having it having culminated with winning another one? Yeah. 
I, th- I think that it's consistency across the board, and and you're right. I mean, there's got to you have to have drive, motivation. Uh, winning after winning is it's one of the it, not one of the hardest. It's probably the hardest thing to do in sport. Um, and and but the ingredients don't necessarily change, right? Our core values didn't change and we lived our core values every day in our program and uh, or we try to live our core values every day um, I've been able to consistently keep my staff right uh, uh, Phil's been with me for 15 years Camilla's been here seven years Rob used to coach with me in New Hampshire and now is on a second tour of duty he's been here for six years Malik who we hired this year played at Clemson and was an all-american here so he understands the culture uh, so, so that consistency uh, and and understanding what our core values are, and then it comes down to to recruitment and drive uh, and, and finding that next group of players who you feel strongly are talented and, and have ratcheted maybe to level up even more. Um, and the last piece to it is is the support that we get from Clemson from every corner and from the athletic department and um, the leadership from the president to, to Graham. Kyle Young was the guy who hired me uh, 14, 15 years ago, and he's still our sports supervisor. So for me, that, that consistent everyday, you know, I don't know what you call it, not pattern, uh, I think Nick Saban calls it the process, right? Um, and everybody has to have that type of process. And you just uh, – and it's great because, like I said, we have 14 new players. Our our team changes every year uh, pretty significantly because you add six or seven, eight, nine, ten new players. So there's a new personality and there's, there's freshness to teach, learn, and grow with. And I think that that's, uh, that's always been – you know, my life's work and that's what I look forward to and get out of bed every morning for. Can you, uh, can you give some insight into the text chain you have with, uh, with old Dabo and Brownell? <laughs> it's not really a chain. It's, uh, it, it, it just, there are always periodic, um, texts that, that, that go back and forth. And a lot of them are just good natured fun. But many times it's also, you know, they know, uh, I know what it's like to have a tough loss or something tough happen in your program. And at the appropriate times, we just try to support each other. And uh, and a lot of times it's just banter back and forth. Uh, and, and it's uh, and like I said, we have that with, with all the coaches, you know, when Amy – opened up her gymnastics, uh, the Clemson gymnastics, the other, I mean, there, it, it was probably, you know, 80 texts amongst the coaches back and forth, congratulating her and wishing her luck. And, you know, it was just, it, it's just a really, really, really good group of coaches who are willing to share their wisdom, which is, which is something that's, uh, which is unique, uh, and share their success, share their successes as well. And so, you know, I'm happy to be a part of that, and I know that uh, our coaches feel the same way. Uh, Mike, about, a, I guess, exactly a week after y'all won it all, um, a band I'm in, the Grateful Brothers, was honored to have you come 
watch us uh, attend a show in Greenville. I would say maybe you were honored as well because it got you out of going to the Nutcracker with your family, and I've I've <laughs> been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh Larry. Yeah, that was I, I've seen I've seen thirteen nutcrackers or fourteen nutcrackers and, and as soon as I heard that you guys were playing, I said to Deb and Megan, I said, I'm gonna go watch Larry Williams band. <laughs> and and you know, I'm a I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan and all my brothers fan and that's the majority of, of what you guys are playing and I just I just it was nice for me and I by myself and with you. And I, you know, I just, there was, there's always been so much, uh, there, there hasn't been a lot of me time in, in, in self time. And that was one of the most peaceful, fun couple, three hours that I spent after the, uh, after the national championship. So I appreciate my, my wife and daughter let me out of the nutcracker and you for <laughs> being so talented with your band. That is so cool to hear. Uh, I, but I guess speaking of the other two coaches we talked about, I, I yesterday this popped into my head and I just started dying laughing. I was like, I'm definitely going to ask Mike about this. I'm trying to picture, I mean, Debo nor Brad would ever <laughs> come to one of the shows, but I'm trying to picture them, how they would react to being at one of those shows can you give me your best guess from your insight into both of their personalities <laughs> my my best guess would be when is this song going to end <laughs> oh larry i'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> although although i'll say this you know i'm pretty eclectic in my music taste and uh you know, I would. I was at the Kenny Chesney concert in uh, in Greenville, and and Davo got me backstage. So you know, he's he he's been known to uh, to to attend shows here and there. But I uh, I'm not sure whether he'd be at a Grateful Brothers show. I'm not sure whether that's his genre. So I think it was after the second football national championship. I was out in California, and somebody sent me a photo of Dabo when he was in college. This was circulating, I think, on like a widespread panic social media or website or something. And it was of Dabo with another guy at some event, and they were both wearing tie-dyed shirts. And so for a couple of hours, my imagination ran wild, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I saw widespread it, it in Pelham, Alabama at Oak Mountain amphitheater in 1997 well Dabo was he was an assistant coach then maybe he was he was there and it was a bit it was a bit too ambitious because I sent him a text at some point a few days later and I said hey man I can you tell me where this picture was from were you were you at a concert or something maybe widespread panic and he goes oh no it was probably just some some frat party somewhere or something I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, it's like That's, no sir that that is funny that is funny i uh, uh i uh I've, like we were talking about so at your show i actually did some christmas shopping <laughs> and i bought <laughs> i bought my all, all my girls tie-dye socks 
uh, wool socks, which they uh, which they love. <laughs> so I was killing two birds in one store, and, and and you gave me the outlet to be able to do that because I didn't have a lot of time after the national championship to Christmas shop and decorate and do all those things. It was on top of us uh, pretty quickly. Will you be offended if I tell you that I'm not happy with Dead and Company right now? Uh, I I'd want to know why. They've got big shows going on down in Mexico, right? Or are you are you unhappy well, with them because they stopped touring? No, I'm unhappy with them because they keep saying this is the last show. They keep saying we're done, yeah, 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 and then yeah. they keep announcing more yeah. shows. More shows, like because they yeah, just announced yeah. a Las Vegas. They're going to be at the, the Sphere. Uh, like a four or five night run. And I'm like, wow. So to all, for all the people who moved mountains and emptied their bank accounts to go to San Francisco for the quote unquote right. most recent last opportunity to see them, it's like, I don't know, man. It's kind of insulting. Just just stop saying it's your last time. Just if you want to keep playing right. until you keel over, man, that's great. But gosh, just enough enough of, it just feels like a money grab the more it yeah. goes on, but to each his own. Yeah. But, but the same thing, players retire and come out of retirement and <laughs> players, you know, it, it happens. And you know, you just, if there's something you love and you want to hang on to it, sometimes you just continue to do it. And Hey, I, I think I'm, I've got to go out uh, to Las Vegas for a recruiting event. I'm going <laughs> to hopefully see, see you too. in uh, their residency before it gets done March 2nd. When's, uh, when's the dead, dead company? I didn't see the announcement. I will look it up as I'm sitting here trying to talk to you, but um, <laughs> let's see. It's, uh, yeah, the sphere residency. It says, oh my gosh, a 14 date residency. What? <laughs> Um, wow. I can't find the date. Yeah, that's getting a little, that's getting a little excessive for, for a last, 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 last show. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm lost here on this story, but anyway, that, that's, that's quite a lot. Okay. Um, yeah. can we, speaking of saying on music, we talked about this on the last podcast, but that was years ago and. Most people listening probably don't remember if I don't really remember the finer points of it. But you and I had a conversation before one of your press conferences back in the fall, and you were talking about the Nectar's experience with fish. It was the first Friday of every month in, in Burlington? Yeah. Yeah, it was first Friday of every month. Uh, I, I can't remember. It was first Friday or last Friday, but it was, it was every month, uh, and it must have lasted three years four years uh and it was a uh it was incredible not just tiny little venue uh that uh you know was just just bouncing every single time they were playing and it was just it was just awesome uh cleared my calendar for that pretty much every month and this was in the 86 89 time frame uh, let me, let me go through. Yeah, that's probably about right. It's, uh, you know, I was the assistant coach at Vermont. Yeah, that was, that was about right. And Deb was a, she was a, in the, occupied the same dorm with those guys in school. Right, right. So she lived in the shoe boxes. Now this is going back a couple of years before that when she was in school. Oh, uh, no, she was in school. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't at that point. 
uh, and she was in the shoe boxes and Trey and Michael, I think were in the, the floor above her. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, now they didn't last that long. I think they were only there for a couple of years, but, uh, but yeah, she was living in the same dorm as they were. She's so unassuming and I mean, I'm glad I'm talking, I'm glad I'm able to talk to you about it because when I ask her about it, it's yes, we were, we were in the same, yeah, we were in the same dorm. Yeah. Fish, fish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's don't, don't let her fool you. Right. She's got the fish station on XM radio, like nonstop. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't let her fool you. She's, she's a huge fish fan. My goal, one of my goals this summer, I'm going to go, I've committed to going to see them at one of the amphitheaters, Atlanta, wherever, Charlotte, uh, regretted it last year. I think I even texted you. I was watching one of their shows, uh, a, a live stream and the good grief. It's almost better than being there. Uh, the, the HD, um, yeah, camera work the they have the sound yeah. and the light, uh, but yeah. Um, I haven't seen them in a long time, so I'm committing to going for sure. Yeah, I think I think the last time like I, I can't date them like this, but we went to SPAC in Saratoga for her 40th birthday uh, a few years back, and uh, that was the last time that I've seen them live. So, with a figure like Dabo, who's been around here a long time, oh. who's go, who's from the South you know, just a couple of states over and his life story has been, um, chronicled quite a bit. Um, but you having not, you're not, you weren't from here, but you're the, the story of your father, your brother, <laughs> I mean, pretty amazing. Um, and I don't know that you're really asked about that a whole lot. But um, just your background, um, your father went to MIT, the Harvard Business School, worked on the Apollo Space Project, helped modernize Taiwan's rail system. Um, I would really love to dig into some of that, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, I didn't get the... Uh, <laughs> the mental capacity that my dad has, he was, he was probably the smartest guy I ever met. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes let you know it as dads do. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he, he grew up, uh, his mother passed away when he was younger. Uh, and my grandfather raised three boys and all very, very strict. And my dad wound up uh, studying engineering at MIT and then going to, the business school at Harvard. Uh, and then I can remember being down in Florida and this is where my love for sports came, uh, is that we lived in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, and, uh, Bob Shaw was a major league pitcher who lived across the street from us and pitched for the Mets and the giants and had a, had a good career. But, uh, my dad and Bob Shaw were pretty good, became pretty good friends. And Bob Shaw had three daughters and I had three sisters, so I had two sisters at that time. Um, and so he would come over and get me and play catch with me. And 
he would send his two daughters over to play with my sisters and my mom would watch them uh, so that they, uh, they played dolls or whatever the girls did. And uh, that was my love for sport. And I can remember watching Bob Shaw on black and white televisions pitch in the majors. And that's why I, that's why I fell in love with sports. Um, we went, uh, my dad became a consultant, a management consultant after, uh, after the engineering gig down in, uh, down in Florida. And I, we, he was working in New York and we moved to Taiwan, uh, because the rail system in Taiwan was going to be outdated by the super highways they were putting in. And so my dad's job was to, uh, you know, because he had an engineering background, uh, modernize the the rail system in Taiwan, and uh, so it was a state or government appointed position. Um, and we lived uh, on the same street as Chiang Kai Shek. And when there were state dinners, my mom used to be jealous because you have to take the number one son, and so. <laughs> I be I was ten years old and I kick and scream because I didn't want to put a tie on. I didn't want to go when they were long and this and the other thing. And uh, but the most valuable experience at that time was that I started playing soccer. And when we moved back to the states, my parents purposely sought out a town that had a strong soccer program because my brother and I had both started playing overseas. And uh, so we moved into Westport, Connecticut. Lo and behold, I created a monster. My dad became the president of the Westport Soccer Association. And my brother went on uh, to play at Duke in the national championship. And he is now the commissioner of the Canadian Premier League, which is the first division professional league in Canada. And how old is he? He's four years younger than I four am, years. so he's, uh, yeah, he's 56, 57. Your father also worked on the merger of the American Football League with the NFL? Yeah, I left that out, too. <laughs> Pete was at my house having dinner. Um, so, yeah, that was another one of his, his consulting uh, jobs. Uh, so when the AFL and the NFL were separate entities, uh, my dad helped. Uh, he and Hadley Ford was the other guy who was on that project. Uh, and uh, and Booz Allen Hamilton was the consulting firm. And, yep, P. Rizal and uh, I became a Joe Namath fan uh, because Joe Namath did things his way. What else do you remember from that? Not much. I was young. Yeah, I was really young. Um, you know, I just remember that that there were, you know, times that my dad had meetings and, but he was he was writing reports and crunching numbers and, and doing those types of things and occasionally, you know, like I said, there was one night when uh, um, uh, Jim McKay. You remember the announcer Jim yeah. McKay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim McKay from Live World of Sports. He he lived in Westport uh, as well, but. Uh, Mr. Roselle and uh, Mr. McKay were at the house, or you know, it was it was it's kind of surreal. And like I said, I I grew up. My passion became soccer, and I want to be a professional anything in sport. And um, you know, my passion was soccer, but I, <laughs> the only reason why I really wound up, I want to be a wide receiver, uh, and you had to be seventy two pounds in order to 
play PAL football in town. And I went to the scale and I was 70 pounds. Mm. And so they wouldn't let me play. And my parents, uh, again, kicking and screaming in the soccer field and they never came off. And uh, so that's, yeah, I had uh, incredible, incredible parents. And, and you know, I'm one of five kids and they, they, we were always doing something. And soccer became the center of our universe, uh, other than academics, uh, you know, as we went through our teen years and into college. My sister played college soccer, my brother. So, he, your yeah. father also had an, a pistachio farm in Argentina? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what he did when he retired. <laughs> bought a pistachio farm in Argentina. <laughs> I'm telling you, he he was he was he was a savant. He he and would could get into something and research it and would be the smartest. I mean, incredible, incredible. And uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci had the same talents. Uh, was probably a little bit further along than my dad, but uh, but my dad just you know he was really 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 great. And uh, my sister and my brother probably got that side of the family, and my mother was pretty athletic, so I got that part of it. His trained tenor voice was heard in opera and choral performances. Yeah, he, he could he could sing too, and that used to be that used to be a lot of fun. We would uh, we would get the neighborhood Christmas caroling, uh, and, and yeah, my dad played uh, sang and. Uh, a bunch of things that I went to when I was growing up. But the, the thing I remember the most is uh, we would have to, you know, it's kind of like the trap family in the sound of music. You know, we, we start rehearsing like December 1st and it will be every night. And, you know, with the five kids and my dad Christmas caroling. And then we go out on the street and we wound up having friends and family come with us and, that was Christmas Eve uh, back at our house uh, when we got done for clam chowder and something to drink. Your mother uh, did; she was an avid Red Sox fan, so she, you and your brother, were Yankees, Yankee fans, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that, that <laughs> yeah, my, yeah. My whole family. Uh, my dad grew up in Needham, Mass, and my mom in Rutland, Vermont, and they were huge Red Sox fans. And when we moved back from Taiwan, we moved to uh, Westport, Connecticut, which is fifty miles outside of New York City. And uh, my grandfather took me because he was a season ticket holder at Fenway, and he took me to Yankee Stadium to watch the Red Sox play. Uh, because it was closer and easier. So when I came down to visit, he took me my first game, I think. Oh, I don't know. And uh, it went silent at the uh, start of the national anthem, Robert Merrill singing the national anthem. And, uh, no, I was younger than that. This is this before we went to Taiwan. I was six, and, or maybe seven. And uh, Mickey Mantle took off his hat. He was playing first base at the end of his career. And I screamed out in the silence, Gramps, look, Mickey Mantle's bald, just like you. <laughs> and that, <clears throat> Mantle turned around and winked at my grandfather. And we were like two rows back next to the uh, Yankee dugout. And they did the infield. And he came over uh, after infield. Instead of tossing the ball in the dugout, he came over and gave me the ball. Uh, and that was uh, that was pretty cool. 
that was pretty cool. And I became a Red Sox fan. Uh, I became a Yankee fan then and there. And my grandfather turns over in his grave <laughs> because he turned me into a Yankee fan that hmm. one moment. And then I then I corrupted my brother. <laughs> and so we're Yankee fans. Everybody else in my family are Red Sox fans. What do you remember from the 86 national title that your brother Mark won at Duke? It was their first national title in any sport. What do you remember from that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I was playing professionally at the time and I didn't get to see him play. Uh, and he tore his ACL in the quarterfinal of the tournament. So he didn't play in the semifinal or the final. Um and that's all I remember is that, is that my brother had, had gotten hurt, uh, you know, and I was, I don't know where I was at that point. Uh, I might have been in Dallas or, or someplace, and my parents called me and told me that Mark had gotten hurt in the quarterfinal. And um, then later that week, we got the news that he tore his ACL. And that was, uh, that, that's what I remember of, of Duke winning the tournament. And then there are pictures, uh, uh, you know, that I saw. Uh, that of Mark being part of the celebration when they did win it, uh, he was right in the middle of the group. And, um, but yeah, and John Kerr, who's the current uh, coach at Duke, who's one of Mark's teammates from that '86 championship team. Mm. So John and I always have great memories of, of you know their team and and my brother. And John was one of the first to call and congratulate us when we won it. Can you give any insight into what his job? is like as the commissioner of the Canadian premier league. Uh, yeah. He's only been doing it for, for a couple of years and it's basically major league soccer back, you know, 10 years ago. So they've got eight clubs up there and, uh, Mark basically, you know, he, he's just gotten in the news for, uh, they, they separated from their media rights partner and, you know, Mark's had to make those decisions. So the, the job entails the business side of uh, the Canadian Soccer Association, which is the national teams, as well as being the commissioner for the professional league. And he's trying to grow the league. You know, he worked uh, at the MLS offices for years as well. So he's got some experience in what he's doing. But it's it's every day, you know, trying to get – uh, the quality of the league hire, uh, whether it's working with each individual club or, uh, or you know, like I said, getting the media rights. I mean, we know in professional sports, that's the, the most massive part of monetizing your sport. And, uh, so I know that he's, he's heavily involved in that right now. Upstate foodies want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. 
And don't forget about the cocktails. Super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy way. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. I'm sure you've had opportunities to coach professionally, um, and I would guess that it takes a pretty, pretty strong pull of the college game and where you are this pull from Clemson um, for you to be happy here and to remain rooted here. Um, can you help me? Can you illuminate on the pros and cons of the differences between the two? I guess the most dramatic differences between those two um, jobs, professional and college. Uh, yeah. The, the, the biggest difference hands down, which is why I, I love what I do here at Clemson being a college coach is the impact you can have on other people's lives. Right. And you do that every day. And Usman Silla, I, I mean, is just one of hundreds and hundreds that I've been able to help. And through the, through the game of soccer, but really through education and sport. And there's, there's no amount of money that can give me that type of life satisfaction in the professional game. Have I wanted to test my, myself a little bit? Do I have ambition? Sure. Um, but again, it's it's the it's the daily impact uh, you can have on young people's lives as they go through a really critical period. And uh, I think you know we do it holistically really really well here at Clemson. And you know, I, I coached in the Ivy League, and that was. I still think a little antiquated in that it, it doesn't balance uh, properly both education and, and your uh, other interests. Uh, it's heavily weighted to the education side. Um, I've coached at the University of New Hampshire, and it was underfunded, uh, the athletic department, which was which was good because you had to find ways to, to get things done. Um, I've coached Division three school. I went to Division three school, and, and – the purity of the, you know, I think you've probably read the book, The Amateurs. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, that's what it is. So I, I've had an enriching experience through my life. And all I want to do is help other people have that same enriching experience. So I, or a better one. And uh, you really don't get that opportunity in the pro game. Can you think back to when you first got, a call from Clemson and his 
Mike, this is Kyle Young from Clemson University. <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing a good? Uh, I can do a good Terry not, Don, but maybe not. Yeah. I, I need to work on my Kyle Young. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I do. I, Kyle called me in October, uh, and my season of Brown was still going on, and I, I politely declined to talk to him until I said if you can if you can wait till the end of the season I'd be happy to talk to you at that point but I uh but right now I'm involved with the uh, uh with our season and you know I, I said I know that your search is, is ongoing and you may not be able to and fortunately they did. Um but my greatest memory uh was coming down for my interview. Uh and uh <laughs> I walked in the room and it was Terry Don uh, Billy D and Kyle, and they each shook my hand, and their hands enveloped my wrist. I mean, they all had big lineman football hands, right? And I'm going, whoa! And they, they sit down, and Terry Don looks at me, and he goes, "Mike, nobody on this side of the table knows anything about soccer." <laughs> he said. That's why you're here. <laughs> he goes, but everybody on this side of the table knows a lot about Clemson. That's why we're here. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, through the process, I was also uh, being interviewed up at Syracuse University and uh, was actually offered the, the Syracuse job uh two days before the, the Clemson job. And uh, so now it was time to bring my wife to visit both places. And Debbie was going to make the decision. And we were driving to the airport. And uh, I said to Debbie, I said, is there one orange you like better than the other? And she said, I like brown. Because <laughs> her family was from Rhode Island. She didn't really want to move. Um, and, uh, and we visited both places. And, uh, you know, I thought that she would want to stay up north, closer to the family and whatnot. And we came down to Clemson, and Terry, Don, Don, Debbie was out visiting the Montessori school where where our kids met, and uh, and Terry Don drove me to go meet Debbie, and he had no idea where the Montessori school was. He goes, Mac, <laughs> this is out of my element. <laughs> and he dropped me off, and and we flew back, and and I said to Debbie, I said, "What's going?" She goes, "I just like Clemson better." Hmm. And so that's why we're here. Um, it's been a great move. Yeah. I know what the portal, this, the last three years, as everything has just changed and with such velocity in college athletics, I know what it looks like for coaches as they deal with the portal and NIL and football and basketball. What does it look like and what, how, how, have you navigated it and sort of what's the perspective from the soccer head coach? Yeah. Um, again, holistically, I'm not in love with it because you don't get to develop the relationships that you have when you bring someone in as a freshman uh, and, and, and see their development through four years. I think that's one of the things that Brad Brownell does as well as I've ever seen the coaches taking a player from his freshman year and seeing how well they 
they develop in their sport uh, by the time they graduate. And and Dabo the same. Uh, and I think all three of us, and, and uh, I'll speak for probably a few more of the coaches here, enjoy that relational part of what we do. And with the portal, it's become transactional. And with NIL, it's become transactional. And But, you know, you have to, uh, you know, in my view, in our sport, you need to use it to your advantage. So for the 10 players, four of the 14 players who were new to this national championship team came out of the portal. And three of them were, well, all four of them uh, started at different points in the season, but three of them were absolute core uh, elements to the national championship team. And and even leaders wound up being uh, leaders amongst the team. So I don't love it. Uh, The NIL piece, because we're an equivalency sport, looks very different uh, than particularly at Clemson than it does for the headcount sports, football, basketball, gymnastics, and so on. Um, Because we're trying to use NIL to compete against schools who have need-based aid Mm -hmm. and to – uh, into uh, accentuate our scholarship levels, right? Not to add on to someone who's already got a full scholarship with you know, that money's going in their pocket. So, you know, it's it it's a different circumstance, but we're working just as hard at it because it's the the new reality uh, of what we have to deal with, and you have to have the flexibility, I think, in in to look at it and see, okay, you know, we're all competitors. Uh, I mean, don't, <laughs> it's holistic, but we all want to win and we're all expected to win. And so you look at the pluses and the minuses and you try to accentuate up like anything else, the, the advantages of it. And I thought we did that exceptionally well. And I think that uh, our recruiting coordinator, Phil Jones, did a sensational job identifying the guys that we brought in from the portal. Can you put into layman's terms the, the need-based element from some of your competition and maybe I'll get it right here. It's basically schools with really large endowments. They're able to sort of circumvent the, essentially give you a full scholarship um, through quote unquote need-based aid. And that helps their numbers. I guess baseball is confronted with this, has been confronted with this for a, a long time too. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the biggest, that's the biggest, uh, that's what it is basically is that if, if you show established need, the schools can fill that need financially. Right. So, uh, the, uh, and, and, you know, the schools that we compete with, uh, Duke, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Boston college have need based aid, uh, available. What we have here is we have our 9.9 scholarships or our 12 point, whatever baseball has or golf has, um, and, and that's what we operate with. Um, so at some of these other places, even North Carolina, University of North Carolina, University of Virginia, um, they're able to package need-based aid with scholarship aid, uh, to make the packages look, not look, make the packages that much better. And, you know, if you do your job properly, you have 20 scholarships, 22 scholarships uh, in the need-based world when you have need-based scholarships. Uh, and we're competing with a lot less than that. 
and that's why NIL, you know, both Eric and myself and um, Jordan are, you know, just trying to use the NIL to, to help us compete. I know that under the traditional sort of model, amateurism model, um, when somebody transferred in or out, it was the biggest challenge is, oh, well, he's, it was academically. He's got to meet, you know, the credits have to transfer. He's got to meet the progress toward degree requirements at this particular school compared to the previous school. My question and my biggest maybe concern is just the raw numbers. Uh, if you have thousands and thousands of kids who are going into the portal, what does that mean for the raw number, you know, graduation rates ultimately over the long stretch of time? Um, is that a valid concern just based on what you've seen with this sample size so far and maybe projecting it forward just overall, not necessarily just with soccer, but just with your sort of feel for things. Yeah. I think what media doesn't uh, necessarily do a, a justice to is the portal and how many kids don't uh, better themselves through it. Mm -hmm. Right. And how many people get left in the portal. And, uh, that's, that's the story in and of itself all day, every day. Uh, and, uh, I think that, that, that is, uh, and that's in, in all of our sports from what I'm understanding. And, and, you know, that's sad, uh, because, uh, you know, maybe not the kids who leave or come to Clemson, but the mid-major schools, kids leave because they want to go to a place like Clemson or go to a power fire school, um, and it doesn't work out and they're left scrambling and, and, you know, again, I do think, and I've always thought that, you know, it's the microwave society. You want it now you don't want to wait. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel for the kids who are led to a place where they don't actually get what they want. So people go into the portal, Larry, for two reasons, right? People go into the portal because they want to challenge themselves at a higher level. There are fewer of those, right? Or they're dissatisfied with what's going on at the current place. And there are a lot of those, right? And using the portal, you've got to find, and that's what gets, that, that's what gets left in the portal. The ones who are doing it to challenge themselves mostly and are getting good advice or understand that, you know, I, I just killed it in the Patriot League. I, I was the leading goal scorer. I was the, you know, the defensive player of the year. I want to go see if I can play in the ACC. Those guys are going to land in better spots. Uh, but it, it's uh, it's crazy. And how many how many kids get left in the portal is, is really a story that, uh, that isn't told enough. And the other story is the typical brain at age 18 or 19. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're going to be dissatisfied. I was dissatisfied about a lot of stuff. When I was stupid. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if you put, and you then know. if you put $50,000 in my pocket, Oh, I mean, I'm probably not going to yeah. be as interested in class because <laughs> I'm rich. Right in my mind. Yeah. Right. right. Well, you know that's 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 part of it, but that's why you know you've got to you you've got to stay grounded. And, and what our job is now as coaches too is is to 
again, keep them grounded through core values that are lifelong that you can you can continue. And, and Davos got them. You know, I, I I would say pretty much every coach here at Clemson has got them, and we've had them, and that's what we teach. And when we see people operating outside of that, we just try to reel them back in and, and help them. Uh, so, you know, that's at least maybe that sounds like a Pollyanna uh, type of approach, but that's really all we can do. You have a great relationship with Dabo Sweeney, the man who took your soccer practice fields back in the day. He has talked about this. I think we, you and I have talked about it on previous podcasts, but can we, can we maybe rehash some of that? I mean, that is, that's kind of a, that's a hell of a story, just sort of looking back at it and, and seeing where things have, have ended up. Yeah, well, you know, I think we're all, uh, we all have visions for what our programs, what we want for our programs. And, and, Dabble had a vision for, for what he wanted with that program and his vision included enhancing all the rest of our programs. And, uh, when it was happening, uh, let's just put it this way. We didn't share the same vision, uh, because we were, uh, they were boring holes on our practice field the week we were going to the national final in 2015 for a football mm. practice facility that had to be built by signing day, you know, 18 months later, two years later. And, uh, I immediately went up to Kyle's office and Terry Don's and I said, what? they couldn't wait another way. I was hot. And, uh, Dabble called me later and, and said, Mike, listen, we had to do this now i apologize but i promise you that we were going to find uh, a way to make it better for your program too he said trust me well um you know he was right that's all i can say is that he was right you know the the, the football um revenue and and just his own personal help uh built us our soccer facility and uh it's uh, you know our our work right now is is as efficient as it can be because of you know his vision for what he needed his program and maybe even Clemson athletics to look like and I think uh, I'm very very grateful uh, for my well for my impatience but for him uh, you know being inclusive and not just exclusive. What type of help did he provide? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure there was a there's a financial piece to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not pretty sure, I am sure. Um, and you know, uh, when it was time to look for what well, what site does it need to be, and what's this, and you know, they could put in German mail. But he said, you know, I think he was the one to talk to to Dan about putting it in this location. Uh, you know, we talked about going up by the lake where the where now the uh, uh, gymnastics and, and lacrosse is, but, uh, but yeah, you know, just, just support. And, you know, when we would go to Dan and, you know, or, or to Terry and say, listen, this thing's got to get built, you know, for us to, and, and Dabble would say, yep, remember we told him we were going to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, he, 
he's pretty influential. He's pretty influential. He had your back. He did have my back, big time. Was it hard to have any faith in that in the moment when he was telling you, please have some faith? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it always is. I mean, you got to understand something, Larry. Growing up in this country, uh, as I did, and maybe this is where the chip on the shoulder kind of comes from, is that I wasn't 72 pounds, I was 70 pounds. Uh, But uh, you live in the shadow of the beast. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the nature of it. Uh, soccer's always been a grassroots sport that's growing, but you know, football, whether you were in high school, middle school, um, they were always the, uh, the one who, the have not the have not and soccer's always been kind of the have not. Uh, and if you go outside of the borders of the United States, it's completely different. Uh, and, uh, but that's, that's part of it. So, you know, you, it's like anything, and I think that that, that it's my life. Is, is that you can? It's either fight or flight, right? You can either fight and continue to get better, or you give in and you become a victim, and you got a choice. And you know, at that point, I I tell you, I told you, I love all sports, and I believed in dabble seriously believing in as a, as a coach, uh, you know, this is a story that probably hasn't been told Larry, uh, is that, uh, in 2010, when I got here, um, I, I don't know whether I told you this or not, but I, uh, it was the year Dabo, I don't know, it was nine or 10, 10 where they didn't have a, they didn't have a great year. Right. And it was, I mean, the natives were restless. Uh, it was nothing I'd ever seen. I'm coming out of the Ivy League and, you know, there was an inquisition and Terry Don was getting called to President Barker's office. That was getting called to staff people, right? So I, I wrote President Barker a note that said, hold your nerve. We don't want to lose this guy to a place like Alabama because he is a great coach. Because mm-hmm. I could tell. Mm-hmm. And President Barker called me on the phone and asked me to come down to his office and meet with him. And basically I said, listen, I've been coaching for a long time, right? This guy is a really, really, really good coach. And you want to support him, not lose him. True story. What did he say? But he agreed with me. Yep. President Parker agreed with me the whole time, right? And that was one of the best parts about Terry Don Phillips, too. Terry Don didn't listen to the noise. That's a leader. He knew what he was doing. You know, he he was firm in what he was doing. He believed in us as coaches, and that's why I took the job over the Syracuse job, other than Debbie's wishes, was that the Syracuse – job at that point I say yeah you can kick everybody out you can bring in your own guys your own players or something like that. and Terry Don holistically said listen if we've made mistakes with our program that's our fault so those are the mistakes that we're going to live with and we're going to give you enough time to implement what it is that you're going to do but please take care of the kids that were here and for me that's that's sold me right so you know, it, it, it's experience sometimes. It's, it's, I, I've been coaching for, I don't know, 20 years and I, I, I keep my own 
coaching Hall of Fame, and it's not a lot of pro coaches, right? Hmm. Phoebe and John Murphy, who are the crew coaches at Brown, right? You, you look at their record, national champions. Dom Starcher, national champion lacrosse coach at Virginia. I, I mean, I've got a oh, Pat Summit, you know, John Wooden. My, my, I, I keep a coach's Hall of Fame. And Dabo Sweeney's in it. Hmm. Okay, what was it? It was not obvious to most people in 2010. This is his second full season. They're struggling. And even in his first full season when they won the Atlantic Division, that was easy to and conventional to chalk it up to, oh, well, they had C.J. Spiller. So what was it that you were able to see that the average person probably didn't? It's funny uh, because I, I also do a lot of coach education work. I've done a lot of coach education in our sport and we say it all the time. <laughs> it's not one thing. It's a presence you have and a believability and you either got it or you don't and, and dabble at it. And that's what I saw. I mean, he, he, he believed in himself for sure. Um, he believed and communicated to the players that that he believed in them even during tough times. Like I said, uh, you know, and if you can instill confidence in someone or, or, or an organization that is going through a difficult time, that's the real test of leadership, and he had it. I'll never forget Terry Don telling me that year, that season – Larry, I told Dabo, if this don't work out, I'll come to your office and help you pack your bags, and then you can come to mine and help me pack mine. <laughs> I can hear him saying it. I can hear him saying it. And and again, you know, again, true leadership, and that's Terry Don had it, right? I, I'm, I'm really excited for Graham and uh, – what he's going to do here because I think that he's, he's got it, whatever it yeah. is. Right. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, you, you, you can't necessarily just describe it, but you know, in, in the coaching world and the, and the leadership, you know, I, I read all the time. That's what I'm reading all about, whether it's Navy SEALs or, you know, other famous coaches or other sports or, uh, you know, Leaders of industry, uh, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to, always trying to get better. How do you? In in, dabble dabble. He had it. <laughs> you read all the time. How do you turn your brain off to do so? Uh, play golf. No, I mean, I mean, I think. I mean, it's hard <laughs> oh, for turn, it's turn hard. My... It's hard for me sometimes to read during a football season because my mind is racing about what I'm, what's going on. How do you, how do you manage to? It's it's just been a habit that, that I've formed that I've all I've always had a book or two that I'm, the, the, and you know I read every night before I go to bed. Uh, I don't look at my phone, and, uh, and I just set time aside. You know, every time I travel, right, I'm not on an iPad or on a computer. I've got a book out. Uh, it's just it's something I enjoy. And because I always feel, you know, and I don't read a lot of fiction. Uh, uh, and it's not necessarily self-improvement. 
books. It's it's more great stories, biographies, leadership. Uh, that's you know because I think that you, you can learn uh, podcasts. That's become another mm-hmm. one of my uh, ways. Uh, I got a long drive in and out of Greenville every day, and uh, or what some people call a long drive. I enjoy it um, because I, I'll switch on a podcast and trying to pick up a nugget here or a nugget there. You said you were in the, you know, the shadow of the beast. You were in the handshakes of the beasts when you came and saw Terry Don and Billy D and Kyle. What do you think it was that made them want to be great again in soccer? Well, I think it's tradition of Clemson soccer. It's, you know, you've got national championship. And that's, that's something that I think Brad has, has struggled with is that the tradition of success that we have in the soccer program is a recruitable item when you're on the road, when you can point to national championships and ACC championships. And that tradition of success has always been there and it fell on some hard times. So I don't think, I mean, Kyle grew up here and he knew what it was like you know, we're, we're talking. We're talking about renovating rigs right now, and and he said, "Yeah, we bought the national championship back in '86, '87." Uh, and he, I said, uh, "So what do you mean you bought the national championship?" He goes, "We built rigs, hmm. and they play the national tournament here, and we won it." I was, "Ah, oh, I get it." Hmm. So, you know, so having someone here who can tell the story—it's always about telling the story. And if you continue to tell the story, I mean, Julie Ibrahim has been such a fantastic advocate of mine, of Clemson soccer, and she's the fabric in this town and of our sport. And, you know, Clemson wants to be successful in everything. And if you have tradition, it helps. And we have tradition in our program. How much more committed is Clemson to soccer now than it was when you first got here? Um, uh, well, I mean, the, the investment has been massive, right? The facility, uh, it's one of the nicest ones in the country. Uh, and they, they are, you know, they, I, I don't know whether it was, they, they were committed to soccer uh, when I got here. They committed to me and that was part of it. Is that I needed to understand what that commitment was or else I would have gone someplace else, but I also knew what it could be and what it still can be. And we're pushing on that every day. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think Clemson is, is one of the leaders in our sport uh, in the country. And I think we want to continue to position ourselves there and there's more work to do and more championships to win. They tried to cancel a practice early on because there was a, chance of snow was it Larry man your memory's great you're bringing up some stuff that I'm just <laughs> laughing at now <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god I was I was up in Rhode Island uh, finishing uh, things at Brown and I had sent Phil down I'd hired Phil and I'd sent him down to train the team in January and I called him, uh, I called him or he called me on the phone and said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what's that? He goes, they won't let me train the team tomorrow. I said, why not? 
he goes, because there's a chance it's going to snow. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, yeah, they're going to, they might close the school down. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> he goes, so I called Kyle on the phone. I said, Kyle, what are you talking about? I mean, we need to, these kids are, they're soft. They've had it easy. We need to get these kids to understand what it's going to be like. And Phil's going to have practice tomorrow. And Kyle said, no, he's not. <laughs> I started laughing on the phone. And, uh, and he said, no, Mike, you don't understand. We don't have the equipment. If it does snow or ices, right, the streets, we're not going to endanger you know, the trainers to come in and, and even your coaches. And he's, he's telling this to a native New Englander who went to school in Vermont. You know, I, mean, I'm like, <laughs> I said, how much snow are you supposed to get? Well, there's a chance of snow and up to an inch. I'm like, well, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, and then the first time we came down here, uh, we had the girls down here in school and it snowed two inches. They were out of school for five days. I was like, Debbie was going crazy at home. Well, we've adjusted. What kind of car are you going to be uh, perched in Saturday morning during the parade? Well, I'm hoping the same one that I was in the uh, in 21. I'm hoping the Abraham brings that nice orange Ferrari uh, to the parade, and she and I, with with Eve's uh, with Eve's uh, spirit, can. Uh, can roll through Clemson in championship style. What's the plan for afterward with the, with the team and all that? Yeah, we're doing a little reception uh, in the Ipte uh, building uh, for, you know, fans, friends, people want to get their picture taken with trophies, that type of thing. And then we're uh, over to the basketball game where the team will be honored at halftime. And, uh, it is a little bit of a shame, just like, you know, you win the national championship and you got to take exams. Uh, you have a celebratory parade, but you know, five or six guys, seven guys aren't here because they've turned pro and they're in, or they're graduated and they're in training camp. And I mean, Brandon Parrish is in Saudi Arabia right now with wow. uh, DC United and Pop Mars out in Phoenix and preseason and still is down in uh houston preseason so you know it's a, a lot of guys uh guys in mexico with one of the cpl teams so it's uh we'll miss them but uh i think they've got a plan for that i think you might see some fat heads of the guys who'll be missing very cool well mike is there any any topic that i've missed i tell you what, Larry, <laughs> it's amazing. Your memory and recall is, uh, is terrific. And, and, you know, thank you for, thank you for including memories of my family and, and, you know, telling, telling a much broader and wider story than I thought we were getting into at the beginning. And, uh, I always love chatting to you about music and you will see coach Newman at another one of your shows. <laughs> so would it have been too much, had we brought you up onto the stage and recognized the national championship, would you have been like, come on, man, please no. Or what did you have, would you have enjoyed that? Uh, I would have done either way. Okay. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, with this national championship, that's a little bit different uh, in the fact that for whatever reason, internally last time, you know, within the athletic department within Clemson, it, it was like, it was really 
celebrated because they weren't sure whether we could do it. Now we did it. This time, it's the external side of it because I think a lot of people watched the game uh, and saw it. And, you know, and it was Clemson now and it was Clemson soccer. And it just, it's just a, a, a much bigger buzz externally, whereas internally it's like, all right, let's see if you can do it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's fun. It's fun. Well, I know, and I know co- the players are really, really going to enjoy Saturday. It's going to be awesome. And the coaches and the families. I know I'm coming off as a front runner because it seems like the only time I ask you to come on the podcast is after you win a national championship. So I hereby commit to having you on next year, regardless of what happens. Well, I, I enjoy chatting with you, Larry, and I love listening to the podcast. And, uh, and I'll, I'll look forward to that and, and seeing you in different corners of uh, the world that we operate in. Coolest coach on campus is going to be parading through uh, campus Saturday. Fans who are listening, got to be there. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. I accidentally cut him off there. He said, thank you, Larry. Go Tigers. So just making sure for the record. Thoroughly enjoyed that interview as always with Coach Noonan. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for continuing to help make this happen. And of course, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Cheers.